St. Paul tells us this morning, we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Amen. My dear Christian friends, 10-year-old Jaden Carr received 10 shares of GameStop stock from his mother two years ago as a gift as a result of the recent stock market war between online day traders and hedge fund Jaden's stock surged to be worth 53 times more than what his mother had bought it for. So when Jaden sold his shares of stock, he received $3,200 on his mother's $60 investment. If you paid attention several weeks ago, you heard about everything going on with GameStop, that you had hedge fund investors that were losing billions of dollars, whereas day traders like you and me were making thousands, even up to millions of dollars on the stock. And then the trading stopped, possibly illegally. When you have people like Ted Cruz and Tahita Laib, uh, uh, that they are agreeing on something, you know there must be some serious shenanigans going on. First, the wealthy hedge fund people, they were losing big. And the day traders were winning big. And then all of a sudden, everything reversed. And that's how quickly glory comes and goes. We try to dress ourselves in Prada clothing and Air Jordan shoes to cover up our poverty. We try to present a clean house to our guests to hide the fact that there is dissension inside that house. We try to fake our happiness when people ask how we're doing to cover over our real sadness. We want to appear glorious when in reality we are poor, miserable, self-absorbed sinners. And yet there is one person who was never a poor, miserable, self-absorbed sinner like us. One man who one day took three of his closest friends up onto a mountain. He pulled aside the outer garb of his flesh and blood. He showed that he was much more than he had been showing for the previous 33 years of his life. Unlike us who try to cover over our humility with glorious garb, Jesus was the one who covered over his glorious divinity with humility and humanity. Throughout this epiphany season, we have received glimpses of Jesus' hidden glory in the waters of his baptism, in the synagogue, and in his healing. He hid his glory not to deceive us, but so that he could dwell among us. He hid his glory, not to spy on us, but so that he could have mercy on us. He hid his glory, not to get from us, but to give to us. Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. The appearance of his figure changed to show them who he really was. He needed to give them this glimpse of divine glory to sustain them when they came down the mountain and what they would see in Jerusalem just a few days later. There they would see their Lord and Master, 
betrayed, denied, arrested, spat upon, slapped, scourged, and mocked. His beaten, bruised, and bloodied body would be hanging in a twisted, disfigured mess on the cross. Isaiah prophesies like someone whom people cannot bear to look at. And then Peter, James, and John could recall that vision of glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. But this had to be a very confusing time for these disciples. Will the real Jesus please stand up? Is the real Jesus the one on the Mount of Glory or the, the one in the heavenly conversation and receiving his Father's approval? Or is the real Jesus the one on the place of the skull receiving mockery and abuse and his Father's abandonment? How could they reconcile these two contrasting pictures? They could be wondering, what is the state of Christ's followers? And we could be asking the same question today. What is the state of Christianity right now? Just think of what's been in the news the past few weeks. The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that the state of California was unconstitutional in closing churches while keeping secular businesses open. And that sounds good, except that the churches are still at only 25% occupancy and they're still not allowed to sing. But this is indicative that local, state, and federal governments will, may make it harder for Christians to worship in freedom. But this should not surprise us because this is the way it has been for Christianity throughout history and the way it is right now around the world. A recent poll showed that 78% of American young people believe in moral relativity. That means that they don't believe that there is a moral center of right and wrong. And what that means for us and our Christian young people is they're going to be infected by this moral relativity and not believe that Jesus is the only Savior or that there is such a thing as sin or that there are moral absolutes contained in the Ten Commandments. If certain executive orders or federal laws are put in place enforcing transgender athletes in women's sports and in women's locker rooms, how long until that affects our Lutheran elementary school and our Lutheran high school? I had a conversation recently with some of our AV people asking if we should put our Bible studies online and live stream them as well. But the concern is that if something is said in the Bible study by the pastor or a participant that big tech does not like and they find offensive, then we can very quickly be deplatformed and canceled. Will the real Jesus please stand up? Which is it going to be for the followers of Christ? Glory or suffering? Growth in God's kingdom or pressure from civil governments. More catechesis for young people or young people questioning their faith. Preaching the truth about human sexuality or facing possible cancellation for preaching that truth. Good or or struggle. 
transfiguration or crucifixion. Bask in the glory of Christ or carry a cross in Christ's name. The answer to every single one of those questions is the same. It is a resounding yes. Peter, James, and John needed this vision of Jesus' glory when Christ was suffering, crucified, and buried. And you and I, Jesus' modern-day disciples, need this vision of glory to carry us through the dark days of despair that Leah had. We need to keep in mind, really, both mountains. The mount of glory and the mount of suffering. The glory revealed in the transfiguration and the glory revealed in the crucifixion. Being a Christian for 50 years and being a pastor for almost 25 years, this is the first time that in my study that I really took time to look at the parallels between the Mount of Transfiguration and the Mount of Calvary. That Jesus was transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John on one mountain to show them who he really was. And Jesus was disfigured in front of the chief priests and the Roman soldiers to show them what he had come to do. At Jesus' transfiguration, his clothes were dazzling white, whiter than anyone could bleach them. But uh, at his crucifixion, his clothes were stripped from him. And the Roman soldiers gambled for his clothing. Jesus had Moses and Elijah on his right and on his left. They discussed Jesus' exodus, his departure from this world into paradise. At Jesus' crucifixion, he had two criminals on his right and on his left. And he carried on a conversation with the repentant criminal about his coming up exodus and his departure from this world, saying, Today you will be with me in paradise. Mark tells us that at his transfiguration, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And then Mark tells us that at the crucifixion, when it was the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, and God the Father spoke a word of blessing upon his Son. Darkness covered the land around Mount Calvary as God the Son questioned why his Father was forsaking him. Jesus' glory was apparent on the Mount of Transfiguration, but Jesus' glory was hidden under the bloody brow and the swollen face and the torn up back on Mount Calvary. And yet, his greater glory was revealed on Mount Calvary as Jesus was shown to be the Redeemer of the world. John is the only disciple recorded to be at both places, on both mountains. He must have felt like the Mount of Transfiguration was a place where Heaven came down to meet earth. But then he must have felt at the crucifixion that hell had come and visited earth. Jesus was transfigured to enable his disciples and enable us to see what is really happening on the cross. 
Because the life of Jesus was not taken from him. Because he is the glorious divine son of God. He could not be killed. He allowed himself to die. This was not the punishment of an ordinary man. This was the self-sacrifice of the glorious God. Jesus was not hanging on the cross in shame, but that was his glory of his self-sacrificial love for all of humanity. Jesus left the Mount of Transfiguration to go and do his redeeming work. Just as he descended from heaven to be born in Bethlehem, so he descended from the one mountain to be crucified on another mountain, to take us to another mountain in heaven. He brings glory to earth so that he brings his glory to you. And now you and I as Jesus' modern day disciples, we live in a constant tension between these two mountains. We live in the tension of crucifixion and transfiguration, the tension of living and dying, the tension as we do the work of of glory in God's kingdom, but understanding that there is going to be suffering and persecution as we carry out that kingdom work. Persecution was coming for Jesus' disciples, and persecution is coming for us. The issue is that the disciples forgot who Jesus was, and for that reason, they became afraid. They ran and hid. Fellow disciples, do not forget who Jesus is. Be bold, be strong, preach Christ the Christ in his transfigured glory, the Christ in his disfigured glory, the Christ who was dazzling white with divinity, the Christ who was crimson red with redeeming humility. These two visions of Christ are what you need to trust to sustain you as you proclaim Christ's name despite persecution. Robert Louis Stevenson illustrates this kind of trust with a story. A ship was in a serious storm and in grave distress. The passengers were alarmed. One of them finally, against orders, went up to the deck and made his way to the pilot. The seaman was at his post of duty at the wheel. But seeing the man was greatly frightened, he turned to the man so that he could look him in the eyes. And face to face, he gave him a reassuring smile. Returning to the other passengers, the man said, I have seen the face of the pilot. He smiled. All is well. I have seen the face of the pilot. He smiled. All is well. And that's the point. As you and I face the storms of life, whatever they are, the loss of huge sums of money, family issues or health problems or coming persecution for our faith, Christ comes with the very smile of God hidden in human flesh. His smile exclaims to us, all is well. When this God-man is on Calvary's cross suffering extreme agony, and yet with the grace of God, he smiles, all is well. When all hope seems lost as God is dead on the cross and laying in death-strong bands for three days in the tomb, yet God proclaims throughout the scripture, 
all is well. When Christ arises from the darkness of the tomb on the third day and he ascends into heaven and there he sits at God the Father's right hand, he exclaims, all is well. And when you are handed over to councils and flogged in the synagogues, when you stand in the presence of rulers and kings testifying to your faith in Christ, then do not be afraid. For Christ assures you that you have the Holy Spirit to give you the words that are the right words to say, that you can proclaim all is well. And so we agree with Peter who said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Or to quote one of my teenage daughters, you're not wrong. Now Peter, you're not wrong. It is good for you to be here, to be here in person or online, to see Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, to prepare us for the trip to Mount Calvary as we journey to Mount Zion in heaven. Amen.